0: This Meeting on the Go podcast is brought to you by the San Francisco Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. Tonight's leader is Sam. <laughs> I'm Sam Pierce. I'm a compulsive eater and alcoholic. Hi, Sam. And I tend to wander while I speak, but I promised that I would root one foot in place so the tape can pick me up and... It's progress, not perfection, okay? I'll do my best. From chapter three, in the big book, it says, we are men and women who have lost the ability, I'll just read it from the alcohol, you translate it however you like, ability to control our drinking we know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Um, Pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization might have been would have been a very good way describing my condition when uh, I came into Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, I ate too much. I drank too much. I isolated. I could not form intimate relationships with people, especially women. Imagine my joy. At my first meeting, it was almost 100% women. I thought, oh, my God, now what? You know, But they didn't seem to care. Um, my financial life was a disaster. I found out that the IRS neither, neither forgives nor forgets. Um, I had suffered foreclosed house, repossessed car, And um, I was so far out of touch with reality, I had no clue that I had a problem, except that the clothes that I wore last month didn't fit me this month. In 1986 or 85 or somewhere, I lived in San Jose, and um, a group of the people in my office went to Systems, and they lost weight, most of them. So I thought, hmm, that's what I need. Because at that time, all I needed, as far as I knew, was to be thin, because thin equaled well. Um, so I went, and I lost a, a quite a bit of weight. Somebody asked me how it felt to be at my goal weight. And I said, I really don't know because I was only there overnight. <laughs> because I did what compulsive eaters normally do. When, when they want to celebrate something, they go out to dinner. You know, So that's what I did. And I'd never been a fast weight gainer. But this time, my weight went really up fast. And um, that created more, maybe more physical problems than I had experienced before. Uh, but it probably created more emotional problems than that. Because I, I came to the realization that th- thin did not equal well. For one thing, I, when I was thin, I didn't know how to act like a thin person. Uh, I, was, I realized that apparently I was um, a compulsive, I, I mean, I was temporarily thin. I had a thin person's body, but I was trapped in the psyche of, of, of a compulsive overeater. So um, a friend of mine in San Jose had, been, had gotten uh, sober in AA uh, about four years before that. Um, and occasionally, uh, in a very gentle way, uh, she had suggested that I try OA. And not that many people in AA get it about food uh, uh, being, uh, you know, a, a an addiction. Some do. Um, but she did, and she also recognized wisely that there was no way in hell at that time that I was going to acknowledge that I had a problem with alcohol. So... You can't when you're when you weigh well over 300 pounds, which I did at the time. um, It's hard to deny that there's something going on with food, you know. Um, My relationship with food was not the healthiest one, and and even using that term is not that healthy. I should have relationships with my family and my friends my neighbors, my co-workers, my dog. But normal leaders don't have relationships with food, you know? So there's just something inherently wrong with, you know, with my talking about a relationship with food, I think. So eventually, in September of 1986, I did go to a meeting uh, in San Jose. I don't know what I expected in uh, those first few meetings, but I'm pretty sure I didn't find them. Nobody talked about calories or diets. And if I remember in the first meeting, they didn't talk very, even very much about food. But um, what they did talk about was stuff that I had no clue about. They talked about joy, sadness, happiness and anger, and the F word, feelings, <laughs> you know? And I thought, what the hell are they t- doing? You don't, you don't talk about that stuff in public, you know? Um, but they didn't ask my opinion, fortunately. <laughs> and uh, what they did say was, take what you like, Leave the rest. I realized they could have said, take what you like, put the, put the rest on the shelf because you'll no doubt I need it later. <laughs> but they said, take what you like, leave the rest, and keep coming back. I could do that. Uh, I did that. Um, I, I went to meeting after meeting after meeting. And I, I swear sometimes my car had learned the way to meetings and went, and I didn't remember how it got there. But I was there, and that was a good thing. So um, September 29th of 1986 was my first meeting. Um, That means that by the grace of God in this program, uh, I've lost over 100 pounds, and including weekends and holidays, I've been continuously abstinent for 23 years. And that's a miracle. Because I never did anything for anywhere near that long. I couldn't I was a, a non I was a starter, but a, not a finisher. And part of my non finishing was that I never finished growing up. In a meeting in, in, in that in the South Bay a long time ago. A guy that I now that I know quite well. Uh, said before a meeting, in front of a meeting, that he realized that he had gotten to be um, a big boy, but he had never become an adult man. And it's just like you whacked me alongside the head with a rolled-up newspaper because I realized he was also talking about me. He probably didn't know it, but he was. Um, I had become a big boy, an unusually big boy, but not, I had never actually grown up. I lived my life so out of touch with reality that it was it's painful sometimes to think about it, except when I realize that I don't live that way anymore. I honestly don't remember, when I look in a mirror, I don't remember what the 300-pound body looked like. I can't envision it, but I... Do not forget, 23 years later, how I I lived. I don't forget that. If I ever think about whether I want to go out and do the research again, first of all, I hear from the people who go out and try it again that it's no different out there than it used to be. Um... And so I take your word for it, uh, because I I don't want to go out and try it again. (coughs) I probably have have another eating binge in me, and I have another drunk in me, but I'm not positive that I have another recovery. So, no, um, I'm not willing to try it. Now, by the grace of God, uh, I won't try it. Uh, I make that choice today, to um, to not try it, and and I have tools that I don't have to try it. I'm so glad to see that there's some newcomers here tonight. We so are so happy that you're here. You are so welcome. Let this. this I don't hear this in meetings too much anymore, but I. One of the things that I heard when I first came to meetings was, let us carry you until you can carry yourself. Let us love you until you can love yourself more. Because we will, I know, I personally know that. Because it's my experience that the people in these rooms carried me until I could carry myself. They Until I could stand on my own feet. They brought me along sometimes not, I didn't necessarily even want to be brought along all that much but they were wiser than I was and I have been the, I've been the beneficiary of great sponsorship and that has um, that has helped me a great deal I've over in the last couple of years I've heard a couple of statistics that have distressed me considerably one is that there, there was some research group in the Salinas Valley doing um, – they didn't even set out to do this. To, this wasn't one of the questions. But they, along the way, they were, they were doing nutrition studies among the migrant workers and the farm workers. What they found out, that of the migrant farm workers' children – who lived down uh, in the Salinas Valley, 100% of those children were overweight. 100%. The other thing is that really, really astounded me, and I, I just heard it again just just the other day, so I, I realized that I didn't misunderstand it, is that the children... the? The generation that is children today is going to be the first generation in the history of the world ever, ever, that that has a shorter life expectancy than their parents. Now, I don't know what I can do about that directly. Um, but I do know that um, as as I've been in the program longer and longer, I've become more and more aware for myself that doing service in this program and carrying the message to the compulsive eater who still suffers is it's not optional for me anymore. It's mandatory for me. I'm not telling you what what the rules are for you. I know what my rules are. Is that that's my rule. Is that I must do this if I am, am going to be able to continue my recovery that, that God has given me and that if I am going to be able to sleep at night. Um, Sponsorship over the years has been probably the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, First of all, as I say, I've been the beneficiary of great sponsorship. And secondly, um, I, I have sponsored, I don't know how many, Dozens, hundreds—I don't know—in 23 plus years. Next next month, if it's if I'm still absent, it will be 24. Um, and I don't know where most of those men are today. Uh, I I don't know. I know where some of them are, but not certainly not the majority. So, so but um, they have a higher power. To my chagrin, at times I found out that I'm not it. <laughs> but better for them. Uh, and they're they're on the path that their higher power dictates for them. So, you know, whatever that is. But being able to sponsor... And then I, I sponsored a few women. Uh, you know, not many, but... Um, the women that I've sponsored, they've all been in the, the program for a while. And um, we've talked we talked a lot and we prayed a lot about it. And um, it's worked out very well. Two, two women, two of the women that I sponsored for the longest time, uh, are I'm very, very close friends with today. And it's a real blessing in my life. But to hear over and over how my sponsees deal with issues, deal with their lives, and to, to hear what they're facing and how they're facing it. And, you know, perhaps being able to contribute something from my experience, strength, and hope to their recovery is a blessing. I remember a long time ago in San Jose, I was meeting with a sponsee, and um, he told me something that was ha- going on in his family and. I don't know what I did. I probably just grunted or something like that. And, and he said, oh, well, then you think I should. I said, hell no, I don't think you should do anything. I barely can run my own life, let alone tell you how to run yours. And, you know, but, but, but you know, the great thing about free advice is that, first of all, it's worth exactly what you paid me for. <laughs> And secondly, if I give you the free advice, there are no consequences for me. You'll go out if you go out and do it, and it doesn't work out too well. Mm-mm, sorry, you know, uh, you know, you're you have, you're the you're the one who suffers the consequences. So I've learned that it's wise for me not to give advice, just to use the what I believe that I have learned in the program, and to try to share that with the people that I sponsor. I found out that the people, when, when I've talked to somebody uh, about something that's happening with me, I've ta- found out that the people who have the recovery that I respect the most, when I finish telling them, you know, what's going on with me, they will say, do, did you do you need just to say that or do you want feedback? You know, they ask me. Before, before I've said anything, and it's something that, that uh, you know, I've learned that, but I did not inherently know, because I thought, you know, the value of my opinion was so great that you know, <laughs> why would I, why would I ask you? You know, it's a given, isn't it, that I should share it with you? But that's not the case. So over the years, um, the the gift of sponsorship has been the greatest, uh, greatest that I could possibly ever ask for. And um, about a year and a half ago, a, um, a friend of mine in AA, I live over in San Ramon, um, asked me if I wanted to go to uh, Salvation Army in Oakland, the men's recovery house, and sponsor. And I held back from that uh, because, well, I'm not sure exactly why, but I was thinking, well, these guys are very, very low bottoms. You know, they've been, in, been to places that I've never been. How can I relate to them? So, but I went, I went anyway. There was somebody a long time ago, and I think it was a former employer, and I don't think it was somebody in the program who said, he said the key thing to doing stuff that you don't want to do is just tell yourself, feel the fear and do it anyway. Nelson Mandela said that courage is not the absence of fear it's the the dealing with it in a a healthy way in a constructive way when it's present because we all have fear. Um, And so I went to Salvation Army, and I was there for one night and what I found out Was, they're alcoholics, I'm alcoholic, and there's a period at the end of that sentence. There's nothing else necessary. I share, it doesn't matter that the details don't matter. I first heard my story practically word for word from a speaker, a lesbian woman from Australia. I don't know if that's enough identification that some of you know her, but in any case, I'm not going to say anything more about what she said. But I know that they say there are yet in this program things you have not yet experienced. I don't ever expect to be any of those things, but it doesn't matter. She she told my story right there, and I thought, oh my God, is this possible? You know, so. The details of our stories are all unique, but at the heart of things, it's all we're all the same. Uh, I am—I'm a compulsive eater. That's it, right down to the core. A compulsive eater in recovery, fortunately, but a compulsive eater nonetheless, and an addict. You know, compulsive eating is—you know—not my only addiction. One more thing I think I want to say. About uh, 12 years ago or something like that, I don't know exactly when it was, I, uh, I had been divorced from my first wife. We perpetrated hell on each other for four years and called it quits. That was the first wise thing we did in that marriage. And uh, and I was not married, and I... Uh, so I wrote down a list of things, you know, kind of not unusual things. Hope that I hope to achieve, or that God would give me, in the for the during the rest of my life. And, and they weren't, you know, as I say, I didn't ask to climb Mount Everest or anything like that. They were relatively, you know, normal things that everybody, that many people want. You know, and one of them was to to meet my soulmate and, you know, be with her for the rest of my life. And a few other things. Now, about a year ago or so, or a couple years ago, I was rummaging through one of my drawers. And uh, I found the list. It was on a yellow piece of paper, and I, I, I kind of recognized it. And I saw the list, and I realized that God has chosen to give me every single thing. Every single thing that I put on that list, including, you know, I said, okay, God, I would prefer not to be single for the rest of my life, but if that's your plan for me, you know, I'll, I'll accommodate to it. Well, fortunately, that wasn't, that wasn't uh, his plan because um, in, a, in a short time, my, my wife, my soulmate, and I, who incidentally did not fit the blueprint at all of, you know, the way I designed my, my, my soulmate, my, my life's partner. God had a better plan than I had though, fortunately. So, you know, not too long, we'll celebrate 10 years of marriage. So, um, it's just another blessing. It's just an, another blessing that if I got hell out of the way, you know, maybe, you know, that God was willing to give me. So, it's such a great honor. To be asked to be here uh, Andrea called me last night didn't give me a chance to dwell on it fortunately that was wise calling me about lunchtime would have been even better but uh, but but I'm uh, it's such a great honor to be to be asked to speak to people who are participating in their own recovery I'm really glad to be here.